Well, as I say, we're going to really concentrate this week uh, on the the first kind of part, really, and then, Lord willing, uh, we'll come back um, next week and uh, kind of finish off the rest, as it were. But in many ways, you feel like you should take your shoes off because you're standing on holy ground, even as you read the words of Isaiah 52 and 53. And uh, in many ways, I feel like I should just take a highlighter pen and kind of highlight a few things for you and kind of leave you to it in many ways. Because this is one of the great jewels, isn't it, in the Old Testament, even in the whole Bible. It's why I mentioned either last week or the week before that to to see the full picture of Christ, to get a a full view of Christ, of Christianity, of, of who we have our faith in, who our trust is in, we need to see Christ from the whole of Scripture, from the whole of the Old Testament, uh, or the whole of the Word. And this is one of the, kind of the easier passages, really, to see something of his great glory in who he is and in what he has done. And, of course, this passage is all about Christ, and, uh, and it's a wonderful passage. And, really, if I can do nothing else, if I can point you forward to, or point you to the EMW website... Uh, and say, just put in uh, Edward or Ted Donnelly, Aberystwyth, 1993, where he preached four sermons uh, from Isaiah 52 to 53. And um, they are some of the most wonderful messages you'll ever hear. Uh, They've also got some jokes that I've used over the years as well, which are very funny uh, about preaching and kind of uh, preachers who've got big egos and things. Uh, But... I mean, just listen to them. They are wonderful. I've deliberately not listened to them for many years because all I would want to do is repeat really what Ted Donnelly says. Um, So go to the EMW website and listen to them. They're good for your soul. They're great for a car journey. Uh, They're about 50 minutes each, and they are well worth uh, listening to. But coming back to tonight, and Isaiah 52 and 53... I mean, this section is really one of the best-known sections in the Old Testament and certainly the book of Isaiah. It's quoted a lot in the New Testament. Uh, So we've got quotes in Romans 15, John 12, Romans 10, uh, Matthew 8, Acts 8, 1 Peter 2, uh, and Luke 22, just to name a few. Uh, They all quote from Isaiah 52, 53. They all quote from this last servant song. And as we start to look uh, this evening at the song the song is actually unlike the others this is really structured and there is unusual symmetry uh, in this servant song in this uh, part and in this passage of Isaiah's prophecy there are five paragraphs of three verses each Obviously, the verses weren't, the verse numbers weren't put in originally, uh, but that's the way it's been structured. Uh, so there are five of three verses each. The, the, the song begins and ends, so it's bookended with the exaltation of Jesus. We're going to look at that this evening. So that's the kind of the first and fifth paragraph. The bookends are Christ is going to be exalted. Then we kind of move inwards to paragraphs two and four, where we see his rejection. And then the third is all about the the atoning significance of this servant who suffers. This is the servant song about a suffering servant. 
as Nathaniel mentioned earlier, it's all about the cross, really, of Christ here. It's looking forward and pointing forward, particularly that middle paragraph uh, that we'll look at, God willing. Uh, we'll kind of touch on it this week, but look at it particularly next week. So, first thing that we see uh, this evening is we see exalted. The servant will be exalted. And so we see it in verses 13 to 15 uh, of chapter 42, so that's the first paragraph. And then we see it at the end, uh, verses 10 to 12 of chapter 53. So again, these bookends, we see Jesus and his exaltation. He is exalted. Now, you would expect the exaltation, Jesus being exalted, lifted up, you'd expect that to come at the end. He's exalted because of what he does. What's he going to do? You get the description. Well, because of that, he's going to be exalted. But you get it at the beginning as well of this servant song. Why? Why first as well as last? Why put it there? And we'll see uh, it's because of his degradation. It's because of the way that Jesus comes down. The amount that he stoops, as it were. How low that he stoops for us. How much he will be degraded. It is a story like no other of the one who comes down. Now this is going online, so this is kind of a secret, okay? So please don't tell anyone. This is not for public consumption. It's not for people to talk about. But I have to confess that me and my wife have started re-watching Downton Abbey, okay? I don't want it known. But, but you see, we never watched series one. Okay, so we went back and we started watching series one. And now we're into series two. And here's the confession. I'm kind of enjoying it, which, which really means I really am enjoying it. But you see the kind of the, the snobbery, mainly of the servants, actually. They are more snobby than the, the upper class. But what do you see there? You see servants, don't you? It, it is the classic kind of upstairs, downstairs in the 1970s. Why are they servants? Well, because they were born, they weren't born with, uh, you know, Lord in their title. The episode we just watched, I think it's Sybil, Lady Sybil, has come down to the kitchen and they're teaching her to cook. But they've kind of been doing it secretly because that's not what you do when you're a member of the Lordship's family. They don't come down. The servants are born servants. Why? Because they're born in the commoner classes. They're born in the working classes. That's their lot in life in the early 20th century. That's what servants were like. And uh, Sybil, I think, helped her maid or whatever they were to become a secretary. That's moving really up in the world. And so she kind of helps her and takes her under a wing and, and that kind of thing. Well, the big thing is this. That's your lot in life. That's what servants are. The royalty, the gentry, the, the lords, they are not servants. He stoops like no other. The eternal Son of God leaves the glory of heaven and comes down. How much he will be degraded, as we'll see in a moment. It's degradation. And this is not even a lord. This is the lord of lords. This is not just any old king. It's not a king who's been subject to the French Revolution. This is the king of kings. And that's why the prophet starts with his exaltation. It's set before us. 
verse 13, he will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. That raised and lifted up is not looking at the cross, particularly there. That's the fact that he's, he's going to be exalted. His name is going to be worshipped and adored. He is. Why does the servant deserve such exaltation? Verse 13, my servant will act wisely. Wisely. Imagine having a problem, medical problem perhaps, and a, a world-renowned expert tells you what to do. Drink two teaspoons of vinegar every morning. Eat a clove of garlic before nine in the evening. Don't kiss your husband or wife ever, probably. Uh, and that's the wisdom that you get. That'll kill you. Vinegar, garlic, whatever it is, you know. Wisdom is obediently following the expert advice. That's what wisdom is. Whatever you may think of the advice, it is wise to follow it when it's good advice. The servant will act wisely. He will do what the father wants him to do. He is obedient, willingly obedient to the plan of salvation, whatever the cost. And the cost, as we see and as we know, is enormous and huge and greater than anything. And yet, we see the amazing obedience, which is true wisdom here, of the eternal Son of God. The servant will be wise and will be exalted. And we see that in the New Testament, don't we? The day of Pentecost, Peter preaching to the great crowd that has gathered, explaining what has happened, people being able to hear in their own language. And Peter explaining to the crowd, it's because of who Jesus is. It's because of who he is. And God has raised this Jesus to life and has exalted him. Where? To the right hand of God, where the power is, where the authority is. He's been exalted there, the highest place. That's the message of Peter. Or Paul, masterfully in the opening chapter of Ephesians, speaks of the work of Jesus in Ephesians chapter 1. The power that is at work in the Christian. He says that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. He'd be exalted. And we haven't even thought about Philippians 2. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Everyone will acknowledge he is the Lord of all. And we see here, right at the end in the exaltation in verses uh, 10 to 12, at the end of chapter 53, uh, we get the exaltation at the beginning, we get the exaltation at the end. The ultimate victory that the servant brings for his people. That great victory. The Lord's will to crush him. Offspring, prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper 
He will see the light of life, be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. I will give him a portion among the great, divide the spoils with the strong. Why? Because he poured out his life unto death, numbered with his transgressions, bore the sin of many, made intercession for the transgressors. We see that ultimate victory, but remember the context as well, the first context that Isaiah is ministering to. The first readers, they're in exile in Babylon. They are few in number. They are weak physically. They are weak spiritually. They've been bowed. They are bowing before, uh, many of them, Babylonian gods. But they're not defeated. Because there's a servant coming. A servant. A great servant. He's going to suffer. But he's going to be exalted as well. He's going to be sat at the right hand. You can imagine being in Babylon. You're waiting for the servant. The hope that they would give you. Chapter 46 uh, of Isaiah. We're reminded of the gods of Babylon. Bel bows down. Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. Their images a burden for the weary. They stoop. In other words, they're low. They are low. There's nothing to them. Christ would be exalted to the right hand of God. The servant is coming and he's going to suffer for you. And so we've got to exalt him and raise God. is going to exalt him, raise him, lift him up and he will be highly exalted. So many songs we could sing tonight about the exaltation. See now what God has done. Sending his only son, Christ, the beloved one, Jesus is Lord. That's what Isaiah is saying here. He is Lord. He is going to be exalted. But what comes first? Well, before his exaltation, he's going to be degraded. And we see it really from verses 14 onwards. Just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance, so disfigured, beyond that of any human being. As high as the exaltation, and we, in a sense, have no idea how high that really is, how, how much of the King of Kings he really is and Lord of Lords, as high as that is, his degradation is as low. He comes down and down and down. I don't think status quo were thinking of Jesus when they were singing down, down, deeper and down. But that's what Jesus is doing. He goes down and down from the glories of heaven to the sin-stricken world. To live would be amazing. But he's coming to live and to die for us. And as he comes down, he willingly submits himself to the beating of the Roman soldiers, the creator of the whole world, the creator and sustainer of human life is subject to the beatings of a few Roman soldiers. The creator of the whole cosmos is nailed to a tree, grown in the bit of ground that is a small part of a massive planet, which is a small part of his creation. When that tree is cut down and fashioned into a cross, and Jesus is nailed to it and kept in place 
until the breath of the Son of God is extinguished. Appalled people looking at him. Disfigured. This is God. Form beyond, marred beyond human likeness. Verse 2 of chapter 53. Like a root out of a dry ground. You know what that's like. A tree or a plant is getting weak. It's got, not got enough nutrients, not getting enough water. And the roots start coming out of the ground because they're looking for water. The ground's so dry, they're, they're looking for life. They're looking for anything to cling on to life because they're so weak and, and in a way pathetic. What's the description of the servant? He's like a tender shoot, so fragile. Could go wrong at any time, a little tender shoot. Can break off so easily. That's the servant. What will he be like? Despised, rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, despised, we held him in low esteem. Remember um, carnivals? Now, Clidach is a normal place, so you probably have had your carnival in the summer on a Saturday afternoon, because that's basically what Britain does on a carnival. But not in Clashley. Oh no. Hlechley's carnival is at Christmas time in the middle of winter on a Friday night, always in the pouring rain, always in the freezing cold, and it's always fairly miserable. But uh, in, in a normal car uh, carnival, not caravan, in a normal carnival, what do you have? You get chosen, and going back to the 1970s and 80s when I grew up, there was always the carnival queen and Prince Charming. It's probably fairly terrible when you think about it, but that's what they did. And how were they chosen? Best-looking little girl, best-looking little boy. Always, weren't they? Chosen on their looks. As long as they could behave fairly well, the best-looking ones were chosen. My school friend, his son was chosen in Gassine and Carnival a few years ago. Very handsome little boy, blonde hair, blue eyes, just like my friend. We were the Wham Boys in the 1980s. Yeah, at the time, we thought it was so cool. <laughs> anyway, but they're chosen on outward appearance, aren't they? And that's how the world chooses, doesn't it? Listen earlier about how people choose politicians looking at the Italian political system at the moment. And, and basically, it's outward appearance. How do they speak? What are they like at giving uh, as communicators? Can they stir a crowd? That kind of thing. Outward appearance, so important. What's the servant like? not like that at all, is he? He's despised. He'd never be entered for Carnival King, not looking like that. He's rejected by the crowds, by the multitudes. He's going to suffer. He's in pain. You know, sometimes we see people and we hide. We can't look at them because, because of the pain. Plus they're disfigured or, or something's wrong. or We know they're in pain and we just don't want to look. My mother at the moment is having injections in her eye. I don't even, my mother gives me detail about everything. I don't want to know. I've got no interest. And I definitely, as I drop her off in the hospital, I drop her off and I'm nowhere near. I don't want to see that. I had my face away. 
That's what we do when things are awful. We look away. We'd rather not look. Or a circumstance sometimes. Something happens to someone. We don't want to know the detail. It's too awful. That's your servant. He's held in low esteem by us, by the world. He's not the world's choice. He's not the soul that we would choose. Taller, good-looking, the obvious choice. Well, the prophet here, he's looking forward to the cross, isn't he? People around would see the servant on the cross, dying. The disciples who followed him for three years, who think he's the Messiah, who think he's the servant, and he's dying in front of them. Where are they? They're running off. It's over. It's finished. They don't see it. Is that him? Is that even a person? All the blood, the beating, the crown, the bruises, the cuts, the, the go? Is that him? Is that possibly the servant? But it is. Because the third thing we see is we see the one who is the silencer. The silencer. We see in verse 15 of chapter 52. So he will sprinkle many nations or Many nations will be amazed at him. And kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they'll see. What they've not heard, they'll understand. You see here, sprinkle many nations. The phrase here and, and the wording that's being used here, it's the wording that's used of the priests sprinkling the blood uh, on, the, on the, uh, the altar. The atonement that is coming. We see here the picture of salvation. And it's at the cross, isn't it, that the, the prophet is looking forward here. The blood of Jesus shed, the blood of the servant sprinkled, not just now on the altar in the temple, but the blood sprinkled across the nations. Why? Well, to fulfill that promise to Abraham. That all nations on earth will be blessed through his seed. That all nations on the earth will come and bow down uh, to having God as their saviour. To knowing God as their father. To having this saviour whose blood has saved them. For many nations. And he's a silencer. Kings will shut their mouths. Jesus, the servant shuts mouths the servant who is rejected the servant who is not considered important the servant who dies let's face it amongst two nameless criminals on a cross executed like many other people he is nothing he has no power you would think but he'll bring forgiveness of sins to billions of people and he'll shut the mouths of kings when do we shut up well, when we've got nothing to say, or when we feel unworthy. Imagine meeting someone very important. King Charles, now, that's weird to say. King Charles III, someone like that, or perhaps your great hero or something. And, and, and you meet them and you plan what to say, but as you meet them, they're your hero. And Perhaps not King Charles, but, but they're your hero and you're tongue-tied. You've got nothing to say. They've silenced you just by their presence. That's what Jesus does. We've got nothing to say. We're starstruck, awestruck. Even Donald Trump will have his mouth shut by Jesus. 
and his glory. See, we live in a world, don't we, where people have far too much to say. We talk to people about Christianity, about forgiveness. What do people do? They talk. They give their excuses. I'm a good person. I'm not like them. I'm okay. That kind of thing. They keep talking. One of the things I notice about people when they come to faith in Christ, when they become Christians, one of the first things they do, they shut up. That's what Jesus does to people. He shuts them up. Got nothing to say. Guilty people have nothing to say. You see that sometimes in police stations. Somebody who is guilty gets arrested and uh, they get put in a cell. Police often say, you know the guilty ones, because they fall asleep. Why? They've got nothing to say. They can't protest because they know they're guilty. So often they just get their heads down and get some sleep, get some rest, because nothing else to do. They can't protest. They know they're guilty. That's us before the living God. When we realise our guilt, when we realise we need the Saviour, Jesus, what do we do? We shut up. We're guilty. Nothing we can do. We come to him, don't we, with empty hands and mouths shut. And even the most powerful one day will shut up. Even kings. Even world leaders. Even our greatest hero. And the only thing we'll say is, Jesus is Lord. He is the king. Guilty, vile, helpless, we, what was he? Spotless lamb of God was he. Full redemption, full redemption. Can it be, hallelujah, what a saviour. Well, verse, 50, uh, verse 1, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Question for all of us, isn't it? Have we believed the message about Jesus? Has the, the Lord revealed his arm to you? Have you shut up before God and trusted this great saviour who has suffered so for you? The one who has come down. The one who has been degraded in a way that we can't even illustrate. Well, there's a day coming when he will be exalted before all of history. A day when you and I and all of history will bow the knee. And we will acknowledge him as Lord. We come now not by force, do we? We come today by faith and say he is Lord. The servant who suffers for us is Lord and is King.